0: morning. How's your weekend going? You know, I just say that when I'm opening a Bible. I don't really mean it. I'm just kidding. Love you guys. Welcome to Portico Church Arlington. My name's Jason, lead pastor here. We're opening up chapter 11 of Revelation. We've been going through that uh, and singing it. Um, And so the Lord has something for you today. I encourage you that, and maybe you're joining us online, maybe you've never been here before. Um, assume that. A lot of times, even I come in to the church <laughs> assuming what I know the Lord has for me as I even open up his Word. So he's got something for you today, and he wants you to know him in a way that's truer, more clear, in a way that is just, in a way that you don't know him now. And I will tell you this, the truth is powerful, it's beautiful, and it's absolutely necessary. And everything that God brings to you through his word, by his spirit, is true. Even the hard stuff. It's revelation, so everything's hard to a degree. But he, he, he wants you to understand him. So I was interviewed uh, this last week, no, week prior, by a local Washington newspaper, Because they were doing a story on, (laughs) since the church is dying and very irrelevant, why would you plant churches? Why would you be part of a network like Acts 29 that we are, that plants churches? And oh, by the way, do you plant churches? Yeah, we do. We just planted one before COVID in October 2019. It's like, well, help me understand why the church would do that. Because the church really isn't the dominant culture anymore. And he's right. A Gallup poll came out at the beginning of this year that said that for the first time ever in the history of America, less than 50% of people identify with a house of worship. So this is new territory. And it's not that it just slipped below. It's in a free fall to a degree. So how do we take that? And he's doing a story on that. And he was really kind and great. uh, But he was just like, I, th- I think he's having trouble wrapping his head around. Like, no, no. He's like, oh, you have a bunch of old people. Well, no, old people are wonderful, but I happen to be one of the oldest people there, and um, not, people are coming. He's like, oh, you mean, like twenties and thirties. Like, yeah. He's like, why would they go to our church? I'm like, honestly, I don't know, but they do, and they come. I'm like, come on, don't sh- sell your own generation short. Um, people may not be going into churches looking for answers anymore, but they will listen. And they want to know not just why they're alive or what life is about, but why are they alive? Why did God put me on this earth? And they are willing to listen. And they're drawn in because God is drawing them in through their friends and places of work. And so it was really good. I really enjoyed it. and he talked to the director of Acts 29, Brian Howard, and, you know, he, again, he was surprised that we planted 25 churches last year as a network, especially coming out of COVID. It's tough. God has really sustained us and even grown us. And, but let me just ask you this. Do you feel like you picked the wrong team? I'm fine if you think you picked the wrong team by coming to Portico. probably did. But do you you feel like you picked the wrong team in going to the church? Because if you're looking for influence, if you're looking for relevance, if you're looking for a place that has dominance in culture, if you're looking for a place that is well-received, friend, you have chosen poorly. And how has the church responded as we've Lost our dominant place in culture? Well, there's two ways the church has responded, and neither one of them are really great. One is we hold on to being the victor or we become the victim. If we hold on to becoming the victor, and we've seen this over the last year and a half, what we do is we start to conflate the gospel or what Jesus says with a national identity, and we attach a political idea or a party or a conspiracy theory to the gospel. And we become the victor no matter what anybody says. This is God's way, and we're going to do it, and we're right. And we start to boast. Or we become the victim. Like, no, God surely loves us because everybody else hates us. That's not actually why God loves you. And we start building an identity in our own suffering. We start boasting about it. And the first thing that people will know about us is our suffering or, or that we're the underdogs. And we, we have a righteousness or a rightness that comes from, we've endured more. I've endured more than you. I'm certainly better than you. So we hold on to this. Victor, victim. See, both of them are a power play. Revelation is not going to let you sit there. Surprise, right? Right? It's not going to let you build a national identity out of the gospel because it has another kingdom in mind. It's not going to let you build an identity and even unified suffering. See, we can very easily forget who we are. And one of the things that Revelation is doing in chapter 11, right, because we're going through the six trumpets or the seven trumpets, it's reorienting our hope to what God has done in Christ and also preparing you to live in the world now that you're in. So one of the most important things that you need as somebody who is a redeemed person of the living God is to understand who you are, to understand who the church actually is. And as I was talking to this really gracious reporter, I had to remind myself well, we're not a network. We're not Acts 29. I mean, we're in it. We're not just planting. No, we're the redeemed people of God, friend. Like, that, that's who we are. If we don't have a clear understanding of what it means to be the church, you're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. And Revelation shows you the struggle that's behind the scenes. So I'm really um, happy about this text. I, I every, every time I feel like I need to sit up here and tell you there's going to be hard stuff in it because it's Revelation, you know that. And if you're just joining us online or maybe coming for the first time, Revelation is symbolic, highly symbolic language. It's apocalyptic literature. There's not even much of it in the Bible. It's highly symbolic, but it points to a very true real, tangible, objective truth. We're going to get there, but it's almost like science fiction or like the Pilgrim's Progress. Don't get lost in the details. Hold on to the framework and the big picture because it's going to take us where God wants us to go. So what are you boasting in, man? Are you boasting in your faith, in your politics, in your religion, in your suffering? And the fact that you're, you're, you're always on Team Underdog, what are you boasting in? Where are you finding your rightness in? Because things are divided, aren't they? And it's even divided in the church. Level, Revelation's not going to let you hold on to that today. Okay? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into it. Right into it. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us so much that you won't let us build our own righteousness because we don't have any of it. You won't let us trick ourselves into believing that we have a solution. Lord, would you please, in your mercy, open up your word today for us, that we might behold its treasure, that we might truly know you and be known by you as your redeemed people in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So there's four things we're going to look at in this. T- and there's a lot of stuff in here. But four things that we're going to see about the church. First, the church is the temple of God. Secondly, it's the witness of God. Thirdly, it's losing. The reporter was right. And fourthly, it's, it's invincible. And we'll walk through and understand what that means for us. So let's jump in. Chapter 11, we're kind of in that interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, which means we're getting to the very end of history, But remember, all these trumpets and these bowls and seals are recapitulations. This is retelling the story between Jesus' resurrection and his return over and over and over. And it's not sequential. In other words, when you see these things and they start to say, yeah, that feels like life, that's because it's meant for you. It was meant for the first century church, the fifth century church, our church, and the church hundreds of years from now if the Lord tarries. So it's meant for you right now. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. So the angel from last week gives us the Apostle John. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are, these witnesses, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed." They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power of the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt where the Lord is crucified. Three and a half years Days, Some of the peoples and tribes and languages of the nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry in exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. They stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. You guys ready to do this? There's a lot there. You guys ready for this? Okay, let's do this. The church is temple. We talked about the temple right off the bat. So if you're going to be the church, if you're going to be the redeemed people of God, the first identity that you need to grasp very clearly because everything else is built on it. If you get this wrong, there's no way to build the rest of them. The church is the temple. What is temple? It's the localized presence of God with his people. Where am I getting that? Let's go all the way back to Genesis because it comes all from there. Temple is Eden where God on the creation makes a place for him to be with Adam and Eve and everything that comes forth from them, their children and cities and culture. And he's called them to push the boundaries of Eden to encompass the whole earth so that all of creation will be his temple. It starts there, sin, fall, we'll define good for ourselves, thank you very much, out of the garden, right, fugitive, wanderer, and we see Moses in a tabernacle later, and he's just meeting with the Lord in a little tent thing, and that expands to something bigger where sacrifice can be made, and there's a high priest, and this all foreshadows Jesus, and there's an a, a unblemished animal and a sacrifice, and God meets with his people there. And that becomes a temple. And Solomon's temple is very beautiful, and it's gorgeous. And it's, the, again, the place of God's presence with his people. This is what temple is. And so what I've heard, when it says measure the, you know, measure the temple and the altar and those who worship there, the first identity we have to understand is we are where God lives. Can you handle that? Well, who is? This building? No. It's no longer a place. It was a person, Jesus. He said in John, you, you, know, you take out this temple, I'll raise it in three days. Well, He was the presence of God with you. He was God with us. Yes? And Peter says, you guys are living stones being built into the house of God, the temple of God. God resides in you. Jesus said, we will come and make our home with you. He resides in you and among you. You can't have one without the other. So you are, the church is the temple of the living God. You want to boast in something? Here's how you boast. God lives here. Is that arrogant? No. God lives here. God lives in me. Scripture says that, temple of the Holy Spirit. And he lives with me. He's among me. I'm an elbow. So like, I'm not complete. I have to be with the forearm, and whatever this thing is called the upper arm right and that's connected to the body and like i have a little job to do like i've been gifted the spirit of god gives to me that i give to the body church you are a temple of the living god if that doesn't resonate with you it's going to be hard to go the distance especially when you lose protection and prominence in culture. So where is John getting this? Because we always know he's writing something out of the Old Testament, isn't he? When he's seeing the vision that Jesus is taking him through, he, it's, it's kind of new, but it's not. He's like, oh, this seems just like what Ezekiel wrote, or what what this seems just like what Jeremiah was writing. And he pulls this right out of Ezekiel chapter 40. You can read it later. I'm going to summarize it. But remember, last week we could talk about Daniel, and Daniel was on the first exile to Babylon. Ezekiel was on the second one in 597. And things were really humming then, and he was a prophet and a priest for the exiled people. And his biggest concern is when are we going back? We can't worship out here. We're not in the temple, we're not around it. And he wanted the glory of the Lord to come back. And the Lord gives him this vision that is similar to what the Apostle John sees. What does he see? He sees an angel measuring this temple. And how good would that feel? Oh no, God's house isn't gone. I'm taking you back. But the temple's different. It's bigger. It's massive. This is Ezekiel chapter 40 all the way through 48. It's big. And he sees the glory of the Lord returning to it. A couple times he's excited about that. So, key word, measuring. What does that mean? Because he was all about returning. I want the glory of the Lord to return. I want the people of the Lord to return to the temple. Measuring in the Old Testament is all about protecting and keeping. Think about that. Do, do Do you measure things that that you don't care about? No, you measure what matters to you. You measure things that have value to you. God's measuring the temple, and it's even more glorious than the one that they'd seen before because he's moving in. You measure things that you move into. He's like, no, measure this, measure that. That's bigger. I'm going to reprove all the profane stuff, all the crazy things you guys are doing. We're getting rid of that. I'm going to dwell with you in righteousness. That's what he's working towards. So measuring, first and foremost, means as the temple of God, you're protected for that. You're sealed for that. You're sealed to get through the crazy of life. You're sealed to get to the end. So, yes, the church is temple. Uh, Let me just read this so you know I'm not making it up. Ezekiel 43, end of verse 5. I fell on my face. The glory of the Lord entered the temple... By the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up, brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's what he's looking for. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of my people, Israel, forever. How good would that have been to hear from Ezekiel and those people in exile, you know, like 1,500 miles away? with all their property and their family, it's all gone. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to live there. I'm going to put my feet on your house. Actually, it's my house. He's measuring it. There's a protection there. So here, here's what you both: God, God lives here. You can say that. You can say God lives in me and God lives with me. you got to come see his whole family to get a picture of it. And actually, we're not even going to do it justice. You to see every tribe, tongue, nation that he's created to really get a picture of God's glory in his image. But he's there. You can boast in that. So the church is temple. Secondly, the church is witness. So the thing that you find most glorious in your life, the thing that you fill your life with, will overflow out of your mouth. Period. Jesus said it this way in Luke. Where was it? Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 45. He said, You speak out of the abundance of your heart. So whatever's filling you is going to flow out of your life verbally and through your life. So the church is not just the temple where God resides personally. It is his witness. You have to be. If you love God and you've been loved by God, that must come out of your life both with words and actions, right? God seals his people to be his witness. Now, we see some strange things here. So, I'm just going to talk about them, but they're not that strange when you're thinking like the Apostle John and using the scripture that he had. So, he's going to do something that we're never supposed to do, but guess what? God is like telling him to do it, and he's, he's a prophet, so he can do it. He's mixing metaphors all over the place. He's saying, it's like these two witnesses. Wait, no, the two witnesses are like two, I don't know, lampstands and, and, and two olive branches, and, and they're kind of like Moses and Elijah. Now let's put all that into a bucket, and now you get what the church is. You understand what it means to be a witness to both the revelation of God's plan, which is Christ Jesus, and to live in that, and to be a witness of that. So the two witnesses are not literal. I'm just going to tell you that. These are not two literal witnesses that will prophesy in Jerusalem. I'm going to say that with some um, humility. Do I have humility? Not usually. Because some people believe it, and it's fine. It's not unorthodox to say that, that these are two, little, two literal witnesses that will show up. I just think in context, we don't, it's hard to get there. Right? What John's talking about is Ezekiel's temple, not Jerusalem. He's talking about these two witnesses. He's like, oh, wait, these are two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord, right? So they're God's people. They stand there. And then he talks about them shedding up the sky with rain and turning the water to blood. That's Elijah and Moses. So is this Elijah and Moses, or is it an olive, or is it who is it? All right, let's get there. So if Ezekiel was most concerned about coming back and returning and God's glory returning... Um, Zechariah was most concerned about getting the temple rebuilt because the temple got trashed. Remember that? Remember we went through Nehemiah? Well, before Nehemiah came Zerubbabel and he and the high priest Joshua at that time, a different Joshua, they were there trying to get the second wave of people to rebuild the temple and get the Lord's glory to come back like Ezekiel said. And So (laughs) Zechariah gets a vision and he shows him this vision of what is like lampstands and olive branches. And the lampstands represent essentially the temple in God's presence. And these olive branches were on the side of the lampstands and they were pouring oil into the lamp so it would continue to burn. So the big idea that God was getting to him was this. Yes, you are experiencing intense opposition in rebuilding this temple. But I have come back with you, and it will get done. So Zechariah, is like, no, this is going to happen. Like, the train has left the station, Zechariah. Yeah, but I mean, the people don't like us, and there's, there's, there's both internal strife, and there's people around us that are trying to like, not let us build this temple. And I don't know about Joshua. It's going to get done. It's like this lampstand that is burning because there's oil coming to it from these olive branches. And oh, by the way, you know what? One of those olive branches is kind of like Joshua, the high priest. He's like, well, wait a minute. In in chapter 3 of Zechariah, Satan's accusing him and saying he's an awful person. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to give him my righteousness. And there's going to be a branch coming, capital B, that's going to fix all of it. He's going to be the true oil. He's going to be the true Christ. But he's my man. And also Zerubbabel, he's going to function as a king for now. I've got a priest. I've got a king. I'm going to work through you guys. We're going to get it done. And I don't think he buys it. And then <laughs> I wouldn't either. And let me just read you what he says to him to, to, Je- to Zechariah to calm him. <laughs> I love it. He asks him. And what are the two olive branches, the two olive trees by it? One on the right of the bowl, one on the left. And this is Zechariah 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 3. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these? And the angel who talked to me answered and said, do you not know what these are? Could you imagine? No, man, like I'm having a vision here. I, I said, no, my lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my, oh, well, you've heard this before. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, we're going to get it done, but it's not going to be because Joshua's great. It's not going to be because you're good at logistics. In fact, Nehemiah is going to have to clean up after you, and it's still not going to work. The glory of the Lord's still not going to return. But you're going to be my witness and you're going to wait for the true branch to come. So let's connect this to what Jesus says. Jesus says before he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he is in Revelation in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he said hey hold tight I'm going to send my spirit Right, the glory of the Lord coming back and you'll receive power to be my witnesses you receive power to suffer for this gospel you will receive power from the Spirit of God you will be filled oh it's not going to be the temple's not going to get the glory you're the temple I'm going to pour the spirit out on you You, and you're going to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem, and then it's going to push out to the region of Judea. It's going to go up north in Samaria. Oh, even, yeah, them too, and to the ends of the earth, even Rome at that time. You're going to be my witnesses. So, church, you are the presence of God. You are the witness of God, and you are going to boast in it. You, you You can do this. You boast by saying, I know the Lord. I understand him. I understand and know the Lord. Perfectly? No, of course not. But he's, he's, he's righteous. He's just. He's full of steadfast love and mercy. And I can tell you about that. Boast in that. You're made for it. So the church is temple. The church is witness. Now, I just want to deal with this real quickly because it says they have the power to shut up the sky and they have the power to turn the water into blood. That's very clearly Elijah and Moses. Elijah, do you remember um, in, oh, is it 1 Kings? And he shuts up the sky because Israel's just not following God. And Moses, like no rain. And Moses, of course, delivers um, Israel out of Egypt. The point is, we're not bringing these judgments. We're not judged. Neither were they. But when when you're a witness, an honest witness for the living God, it's not that Jesus is good to know. It's Jesus pulled you from death to life. It's not that just you should be on Team Jesus and be around the church because it's good people. No. It's you are escaping judgment. That's part of being a witness. You are escaping the judgment of God. Jesus has taken that on for his people in real time. He's taken that fire. He's taken those plagues. He's that for you. And if I don't believe what you believe. Okay. Okay. Stakes are high, though. Temple, witness. Thirdly, the church is losing, and losing badly. You know, the reporter didn't need to call me to figure that out. He could have opened this up. <laughs> it says it right here. And when they have finished their testimony, right, we're, we're going to get it out there. The beast, that would be Rome in this context, but it's all legitimate authority that stands against the church. We'll get to it more later in Revelation. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war and conquer them and kill them. That's you. And their dead bodies will lie in the street in the great city, symbolically Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord is created. That's the world. For three and a half days. Some of the peoples and tribes and language will gaze at their dead bodies, be fe- shame you guys, not even let them be buried, and rejoice of them. Let's let's celebrate. We got rid of them. I'm so tired of people telling me there's some god in heaven who's going to smite me. I'm going to do what I want. Get rid of you guys. But the three and a half days, a breath of life, God comes. They revive, and God's like, let's go. Come on up. And there's judgment on the earth. It's not forever. Three and a half days, 1,260 days, that's three and a half years. The point is, you're going to lose, but you're not going to lose forever. Forever. Jesus was in the ground for three days. And then he he walks out. The church will be under pressure until the end. But the end is finite. It's not forever. It's not forever. So how do you boast in that? Beat him to the punch. I count all things lost except for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Don't worry about losing. Embrace it. Paul did in Philippians. No, actually, as I lose and as I suffer, I'm understanding the arc of Jesus' life, and it helps me know my Lord and Savior better. Boast in that. And the fourth thing, the church. so the church is temple. It's the place of God. It's the witness of God. The church is losing. And lastly, the church is invincible. What's the one thing you don't have a solution for? I don't care how good you are. What is it? And you're never going to have a solution for it for your life. The kids got this, I'm just going to say. Yeah, death is a train that's coming for you, and you can't do a thing about it. I don't care if you're rich, small, black, white, American, Canadian, Ethiopian, it doesn't matter the great equalizer, you have zero solution for it. The church is absolutely invincible because the church has already died. Jesus weaponizes death against the kingdom of darkness by taking it on himself, not just generally, but taking our curse and our sin and bearing it, right? Not saying a word. He didn't didn't reply to Pilate. He went silent when he didn't need to. And he takes that on. And now, how can you be threatened with something that's already happened to you? In Christ Jesus, you're dead. Remember, remember a couple of weeks ago? Baptized into his death that you might be raised like him in his resurrection. Walk in newness of life. This is all according to God's plan and his work and his power and his providence. So you are absolutely invincible. They can't take something that you don't have. You've got eternal life. In Christ Jesus, you've already died. Your sin's been judged in Him already. You've been raised to newness of life. Well, you deserve death. Yeah, I know. Talk to Jesus about it. He took my death. You are absolutely invincible. The gospel will go out. Churches will continue to be planted. You will open your mouth in imperfect ways. You will testify to the righteousness, the power, and the grace, and the glory of the living God. And you you might be 15 or 25 or, like me, 30. Uh, God's going to get it done. There's no jeopardy in that. Let's quit running from it and embracing this. This is where God lives. We are designed to be His witnesses. We're losing badly, but it's OK. We can afford to lose. We've got everything in Him. We can lose everything here because we have everything eternally. When God is our portion, that can't be taken from you. You can't be separated from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. So what are you boasting about, friends? Which team are you on? You the victor? Nope, <laughs> you're not. And I love you guys. You're not going to win. Quit pretending. Jesus overcame hell and death for you. He's got the win, right? That W's already there. Are you a victim? Maybe. Can that be your core identity? No. See, Jesus was the victim when he didn't need to be. He was the victor. He proved it. That's why he's worthy to open the scroll. Okay? That's why you can boast. Boast in this. I know the Lord. I know him. Do you know him? Do you guys know the Lord? I'm not talking about him. Do you know him personally? That you understand him and that you know him and you know his character? And like, Pastor Nate said, that's kind of scary. Oh, no, but Jesus has taken, like, I know his mercy. His steadfast love is embodied in the person and the life and the death and the resurrection and the return of Jesus. I'm good with that. Speak it. Speak it. That's what you're made to do. That's who the church is. God lives here. You're his witness. We're losing. That's okay. We've already got the win in Christ, and that means we're invincible. We have life in him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Give Him your sin. Give Him your life. Give Him everything you've got. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you. Um, Your word just brings me joy. It brings me joy. To know who we are as your church, to know to the incredible lengths you've gone, to the measures you've gone, to make this place your home in us, Lord, give us great confidence. Give us great joy. Give us great strength. Let us not be arrogant. Let us be the most humble people out there. And let us not be afraid. Let us be the most bold people in you out there. Let us honor you, Lord Jesus. As you bring us home, let us take many with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.